up, everyone? Welcome to another episode of Games with Eric. Episode two, actually. Today's the New Year's Day special. It's not really special, it's just another day, but it's the New Year's Day episode, so recording it uh, on January 1st of the next decade. And uh, today we're going to touch on uh, what's been on my radar. Um, also, I'm going to you know keep talking about what I played, which was Jaws and Wizard this past week. Man, I do like both those games. And then the feature is going to be about gaming resolutions and what my gaming resolution was for 2019, how it worked out and what I learned. So let's jump in and listen to me talk about uh, games. So as far as what's on my radar, um, it's a game called Horrified by Ravensburger. And this is not news. This isn't a new game. This isn't an upcoming game. This is probably old hat by now. It's probably been out for a year or so. But it's intrigued me as of late uh, because it's shown up at Target. So when I go to Target, I always look at the game shelf there. And it's interesting to see how some of our hobby games have been creeping in in different versions um, in different ways, but, uh, like horrified, uh, is there and jaws is there. Both of these are Ravensburger games and even uh, deep sea adventure is there now. Um, you know, you can get the D and D starter kits there and, uh, you know, a lot of, you know, sort of hobby games are showing up there. I have no idea the popularity of them and I have to assume they sell fairly well or else target wouldn't keep carrying them or, or keep this experiment going. It's not like they take up a lot of shelf space and some titles I think linger there probably longer than they should before they get cycled out and nobody because nobody bought them would be my guess. But uh, Horrified was there and initially I liked the artwork on the box. I think it looked it's a nice uh, contrast in colors, you know, between the, the title, which is very stark, factual, horrified. That's that's pretty scary. And then it's like a black box, but the the artwork on the color of these monsters looks really nice. So it was striking and it caught my eye and, uh, I, I didn't pick it up at target, but it just sort of crept into my world as I poked around the interwebs. And, uh, essentially it's based on the old universal, uh, studios monsters from like the thirties and forties. So the classics like the Wolfman and Dracula and Frankenstein and the bride of Frankenstein. And, uh, the 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 premise is well i guess i don't really know what the premise is but the gameplay i don't know why all of these monsters would be in the same place at the same time but that's neither here nor there um the game is a co-op and it's played on a board that's you know again it's got that really nice contrasting art so the board is of a village i don't know i'm gonna say some eastern european village somewhere and uh you know there's parts of the the, the map that are illuminated and they have that warm light color and the parts of the map that aren't illuminated or aren't really parts that you move through are, uh, you know, blues and, 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 you know, cooled colors. So it's just a really nice feeling map. Um, the pieces and the, the artwork just makes me feel pleasant. It's, it's, a, it's a good, uh, it's a good look, good, good design. Uh, so it's a co-op and basically uh, to make the difficulty easier or 
uh, harder you can have multiple monsters show up on this board at once or you can have less monsters so it just means you have to deal with multiple sort of uh threads of threats that you need to to resolve in order to win the game so less threats a little bit easier to uh to solve but you need to each one of the monsters you deal with a little bit differently. So I guess there's different ways that each monster needs to be conquered. So like the, the creature from the black lagoon, um, I didn't quite follow in the playthrough that I saw, but there's, you know, he's got his own little mini board and you need to collect items and contribute items to this tracker, which then gets you to the point where you've dealt with the creature from the black lagoon. And there's some story and some reason for doing it that way. Um, but once you do that, then, then the creature is defeated or, you know, is done is resolved. The, the, the people have avoided the threat of the monster, but on the board, you need to move around to different locations to pick up, uh, different items to contribute to these different, um, you know, trackers, uh, for the different monsters in different ways in order to, to resolve them. And, uh, also in the village are, townspeople or townsfolk and they are like npcs that i believe have a starting point and like an ultimate destination where they want to get to so you can sort of collect them and deliver them to their destination and the reason you do this is because uh the monsters if they come across you or the uh the, the villagers i don't know if it's an auto kill or if there's some sort of an attack roll Either way, there's a threat of you being knocked out, uh, which is temporary. You revive yourself at the hospital unless you defend yourself with an item. But the villagers get consumed uh, and get killed. When that happens, this doom marker moves up. And basically, you need to resolve the monsters before the doom marker reaches the game over space. So it's pretty straightforward co-op insofar as you're racing against time and the, the monsters, you know, you flip an event, the monsters move based on this event, and then you take the player turn to do your stuff and try to beat the monsters. It, it looks fun. It looks visually appealing. It looks pretty straightforward, um, and it looks like I could probably get potentially non-gamers to play it. Maybe not. It's a little busy. My wife does not like busy, busy boards or busy games or lots of pieces. So it might be a little iffy for her. Um, but my son might get involved, although he really has no tie to these monsters either, which is also a little bit of a weird decision. I mean, I like it. It's good IP. But I just feel like most of these monsters aren't really relevant anymore. And probably haven't been for some time. I mean, Dracula's evolved in so many different, more modern ways. And Frankenstein's not really a thing. And like, ooh, the Wolfman and the Mummy. Like, I love the idea of them. I feel like I was right on the tail end of having them be meaningful. I watched a lot of their movies, you know, on the Sundays and, you know, on the TV and the Sunday night movie, things like that, or like midnight flicks with Elvira. So they're relevant to me, but I just... It feels, but then again, maybe him. Hey, maybe I'm the target market, right? The the dad with the kid, so target the game gets the dad's interest. Um, so he pulls it off the shelf and checks it out because he knows the the monsters. But I don't feel like this is really a youthful driven game. So it was an odd choice of IP. I like it, um, but uh, who knows if my son will identify with any of it? He probably think the creature from the black lagoon looks like a goof, which you know. It kind of does like yikes a lizard man fish 
But anyway, uh, so that's sort of why I'm interested in it. And uh, I think I'm going to pick it up. And I think you can play it solo, which is always good. So that's sort of what's on my radar. Uh, I'm keeping it to just one game. There's a few things that I'm sort of mulling over uh, that I may want to pick up, but I'll save those for future episodes and we'll see if the interest is still there. So anyway, I think it's like 35 bucks at Target. I think you can get it on Amazon for probably about the same. I don't know if there's much of a discount, but for what you get, that seems about the right price point. It seems pretty good. doesn't feel like I'm spending too much, although I'd say 30 bucks would feel better. But what am I doing? I'm really mincing words over $5. But anyway, 35 bucks. Target. Seems like a pretty cool game. It's on my radar. We'll see if I pick it up. So I played a few games this week, but what I, the two I really want to talk about are Jaws and a card game called Wizard. So let's, uh, let's just knock out Wizard really quick. Maybe I mentioned it before, but it is absolutely one of my favorite card games to play in a party, sort of loose format with people that you are comfortable with, people you are comfortable yelling at, and maybe throwing things at and maybe swearing at. It's basically um, like it's a trick-taking game. So each turn, everybody's got uh, a hand of cards. You flip over a card, that's the trump card. You try to take tricks uh, you know, by playing the high card of a suit. You play a suit, everybody needs to follow it or you can break it with a trump. It's fairly straightforward, uh, but the twists are, there are two additional card types called jesters and wizards, and you have to guess how many uh, tricks you're gonna take. So, and it's a, I think it's called like climbing the mountain, I don't remember. Um, well, the way we played is climbing the mountain. In theory, you're supposed to increase, so first round you get dealt one card, you play through, somebody takes a trick. The second round, you get dealt two cards. You play through two tricks all the way up until the deck is exhausted. Uh, we usually play up until 10 cards, and then we back down, back down, go back down the mountain to one card. Um, only because once you start getting too many cards, it just becomes so random, and it's really hard and to maintain, and it loses sort of that fun, loose feel. But um, anyway, so that's how you basically play but then you have these jesters and these wizards and a jester card is basically a null card you play it it does nothing it's like you're not playing anything um, and you play a wizard card it is the strongest card if played first so it beats all trumps uh, but it loses to any other wizards that are played uh, prior to it so um, the way that you can use a wizard and a jester is to Play it if, say, you don't want to play a suit. Uh, someone leads with a suit and you want to save one of those cards instead of having to play it or having or wanting to break it by playing Trump. Uh, you can play a jester or a wizard to sort of keep that suit in your hand. So it's pretty cool. And uh, also, if you're trying to not take tricks, you can lead with the jester, in which case then the next person has to lead the suit uh, for that particular trick. But the way uh, the way we play there's this Canadian betting rules, um, which we sort of modified, which basically means there can't be as many. Okay, take a step back. At the beginning of every round, you're dealt your hands and you look at your hand and then going to the left of the dealer, you go around the table and you declare how many tricks you're going to take. And uh, the number of tricks that are declared can't equal the number of cards in your hand, which basically uh, ensures that somebody is going to lose every round. And that's the fun of it, is someone is gonna get screwed every turn. And if you hit your tricks, you get 20 points, If you uh, and then 10 points per trick. If you miss your trick, you lose 10 points per trick that you 
missed. So if you said you were going to take one trick and you got two tricks, you would lose 10 points and that's it. So the fun is you, someone always gets screwed and there's always a way for someone to screw somebody else. And it's just a lot of fun. It's like a traditional, it's like a hearts or something like that, but it adds some twists and, and interest to it. And, uh, I just, I love that game for the, the, the right situation, the right people, um, the right mindset. I think it's great. It's a fun game no matter what, but I think you lose something if you're trying to play it necessarily more strategically or with people that you can't get mad at or you're uncomfortable getting mad at or something. Um, I think it's a good icebreaker and it sort of lets you know how people feel about winning and losing at games. Um, but uh, I, I would highly recommend it. It's just called Wizard. I don't know how much it is. I would recommend getting the deluxe set because it comes with these clickers uh, for your betting. So you'll get a deck of cards, a uh, a uh, scorecard or a score sheet, a pad of score sheets, and then these clickers, which let you uh, you know make your bets, and then you can't modify them once you you put them up on the table. So anyway, that's Wizard, and I would highly, highly recommend it. It's absolutely my favorite card game. Next game I played, I want to talk about is Jaws. This is another one that's at Target on the shelves, right next to Horrified, and it caught my eye because the uh, obviously the the graphic design and the quality of the cover, the blue, the white, the shark, the gray shark, and the red writing is just it's classic. I love it. So obviously, it caught my eye. And if someone can do a good Jaws game, then I'm on board because Jaws is one of the greatest movies ever, and I greatly enjoy it. So um, I picked it up sort of sight unseen. Um, I looked at the back. I kind of got the gist of what it looked like things were were doing and maybe how you played, but it didn't really get into it. And this is this is kind of a, a heavy game all things considered. I don't think it's a very, I mean, it, it is, it is family friendly, but it's kind of a heavy game. And, uh, you know, um, I, I love it. I think it was a lot of fun. I only played it once, but I had a great time with it. And in essence, what this game is, is it's played in two phases. The first phase is you are, uh, the humans are going around and Amity Island trying to locate jaws who is constantly popping up at different beaches and eating people that are swimming on the beach. And this first part of the game is very much like a Scotland Yard, um, where there's a hidden movement system for the shark. The shark has so many movements, he, he or she plans out where they're going to go, what they're going to do, and if they use a special, you know, a special action. And then they just say, you know, this guy got killed here, and this alarm got triggered here, and that's what you know. And then the players, the next turn, have to try to deduce where the, the shark may be on the board. Uh, the good part about this is if you find the shark or if you don't find the shark, um, it's not like the game's over. What it does is the first part of the game uh, tells you how strong the shark or the players are going to be in the second part of the game, which is where the shark attacks the boat. So... Uh, we'll get to that in a second, but I just want to give a little overview of this first part. So the Amity Island map is gorgeous. It's so cute. It's so cool. It's it's a really nice little map, and there's zones all around it. And there are three characters that are always in every game. There's Brody, Hooper, and Quint. And this is a co-op, but what I have noticed is I think this would be a good co-op if it's more of a group think versus anybody gets a special a specific character and i say that because each of the three characters have different abilities um when we played it 
yes, um, I was playing against one other person and she um, found sort of a flow to how you would use the three human characters. So Brody has to stay on the island. Hooper's got a fast boat and can move around the board fast and give barrels to Quint. And Quint is the one that shoots the barrels. Um, Brody can also take a guess at one of the beaches if Jaws is there. Hooper can drop a fish finder, which uh, sort of deduces a little bit better in a particular location if the if Jaws is near there. So the shark player has to say, I'm there or I'm near there, which means you're adjacent. And then Quinn obviously is going to come in and shoot the barrel to attach to the shark. So to get into the first phase, you have to hit the shark twice uh, with barrels or the shark is going to eat nine uh, swimmers. So the flow is very much, is very, it feels very similar, right? Brody uh, will grab barrels, deliver the barrels to docks. Then Hooper will pick up some of those barrels, run them over to Quint, and then Quint will try to shoot the barrels at where they think Jaws is. Now, it doesn't always work that way, but Quint is typically going to go last because Brody and Hooper can help determine where the shark is going to be. So if you're Brody, what your job is as a player would be to pick up barrels and drop them off at the dock. Occasionally close a beach, which is something you can do, or try to spot a shark. But that's going to be very much determined on how everybody decides they want to do that turn. Like, are they feeling like they know where Jaws is? So then Brody would do those things. If they don't, then just deliver barrels. You just be the barrel person. Then Hooper, similarly, is going to take those barrels and get them to Quint. Or sort of deduce where it is by dropping the fish finder. And then Quint is going to go to where everybody believes uh, Jaws is. So it's not like you have a lot uh, to do if you're Quint, if you're like, oh, I want to try something different. Just the way the flow works is as Quint, you're just going to shoot barrels where everyone says this is probably the best place to shoot a barrel. And if you don't shoot a barrel where the best place is because you want to be a rogue, well, then you're sort of working counter to the game. So it's like quarterbacking is baked right in because these roles are so dependent upon each other. And that's why I think it's a cool co-op as a group think. So if you had two or three people that all agreed, I'm not a particular character, but let's talk this problem out and say, okay, well, I think this is probably the best. So let's all move Brody to here and let's all do Hooper here and then Quint to here. So I think if you go low buy-in, uh, it could be pretty successful. If you want to have a lot of agency in your character and you want to feel like you have control over the game and you want to be special and unique in what you can do, this might not be the right game. Um, or you just need to change how you approach it because it's not like you're going to get a lot of fun co-op out of it because sometimes you're just a cog. Brody's job is just going to be to move barrels sometimes. So anyway, um, so getting back to uh, the flow here, each turn you flip over an event card and swimmers come onto the board and then Jaws charts out their move and eats some swimmers. Um, and then the players try to sort of what I talked about, deduce where the shark is and try to hit it with two different bar two barrels, which then transitions to the next, which will then take the game to the next phase. If the shark eats nine swimmers total, the game switches to the next phase anyway. So 
it's not like this phase doesn't matter because in the next phase uh, of the game, if uh, let's say Jaws eats nine swimmers, well, Jaws is going to get, I don't know, I think eight, seven or eight uh, special ability cards for the next phase. And the human players are only going to get like three extra equipment. If say the human players shoot Jaws twice with barrels right out of the gates, then that number will be sort of inverted. The shark will get like two or three special abilities and the humans are going to get, you know, 10 special items to, to help them with that, the final battle. So this is more of a posturing phase, um, which is nice again, because you're not, you don't have to worry. Um, you know, if, it, if you lose, you're going to have a harder time in the next phase, but you're not out of the game. And if you win, you're going to have an easier time in the next phase, but you can definitely lose. Uh, when I played, I ate nine. F- no, I didn't eat nine. Did I? I think I ate like six or seven swimmers. So it was a little bit balanced in the next phase. Ultimately, I died uh, during the shark attack phase, but we'll get to that in a second. So anyway, that's the first phase. It's a lot of fun. Um, it's easy to be the shark. You can get cornered, but it's like Scotland Yard. Again, you don't have to worry. Like when I play Scotland Yard or uh, whatever the Dracula game version is, um, I get super stressed out if I do a bad job. Like, oh, I shouldn't have done that, and they figured me out, and, I, and I'm an idiot. This game, you, again, it's a low buy-in, so if you get caught, you get caught, whatever. You just flip to the next side. It's 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 Less of it is hinging on staying hidden for longer. So uh, if you are found out, that's fine. You just move on. Um, so then you move on to the, the next phase, and the next phase is when... Uh, this is the final battle, and this is where Jaws attacks the orca. Now, uh, all of the little, you, you basically have, uh, the orca is built out with tiles, and uh, there's eight tiles for the whole ship. And there's water, and there's boat parts of the tile. Each turn, uh, you flip over this deck of potential resurface cards, which shows an area of the boat that Jaws will pop up at. And there's three possible locations. And Jaws secretly picks one of those locations, and then the human players have to guess which of those three is most likely for Jaws to pop up. When Jaws pops up, he can either attack a... um, Actually, I don't know. Was Jaws a he or a she? I think Jaws was a she, right? Because in 2, didn't she come back to like rescue babies or something? I don't remember. Hmm. Anyway, the Jaws player. I'm saying he because I played Jaws. So uh, Jaws will then pop up and uh, attack either a boat space and destroy the boat or damage the boat or attack a person who's in the water. And so the different areas that Jaws can pop up will have different uh, defense for Jaws as well as different attack dice for Jaws. And sometimes uh, a special move where you can like shake off things that were stuck to you, certain items stick to you like a flare, which sticks to you and does damage every turn or a... uh, a fishing net, which sort of reduces your defense, I think. So the the players need to guess where you're going to pop up. And uh, they have melee weapons, special weapons, uh, or ranged weapons. And a ranged weapon, you can target anywhere on the boat. And a melee weapon, you have to target adjacent to where your little uh, meeple is. And it's it's pretty fun. Uh, the shark's the shark has a bunch of special effects where you can attack the boat and then say you, you play the special, the special card, you attack the boat. And then if you're successful, you also damage a piece of the boat 
next to it or something. So depending on where you are and sort of the combat, you play these different special abilities secretly when you decide where you're going to pop up, then they, they take effect during the next round and so on and so forth. So you basically play until either all three human people have been eaten Jaws has suffered 18 points of damage. Uh, I think the humans each take six points of damage. Uh, Jaws has suffered 18 points of damage, or the orca is completely scuttled. And to scuttle the orca, you have to damage each of the eight spaces uh, either once with a really good attack roll or twice. And when you damage one, basically it makes it uh, a more versatile space, meaning the water creeps into the boat. And when Jaws pops out of the water, Jaws can then attack multiple boat spaces instead of one when you start the game. Each part of the boat is basically attached to one part of water. Jaws will pop up out of the water and can attack one part of the boat. But as Jaws starts eating the boat, you have more versatility in where you can attack from there. So this was uh, a super duper fun phase. You sort of learn how to manipulate the board a little bit and you sort of learn how to guesstimate and based on what is happening with different items and where, you know, if the shark's got things hanging on it, that's doing damage where you're, where the shark will probably pop up. There's a little bit of risk reward. There's a little bit of bluffing uh, that comes up, but this is probably again, another phase, another part where group think would be helpful because when I was playing my opponent, she played all, excuse me, all three characters, but she had a whole bunch of extra items and by the end we sort of figured out what all those items did again this is based on one play so i think if we played again uh a, one player could probably handle it even with a whole ton of extra items because you sort of know what the items do and you know the flow but to start off you get a little overwhelmed as one player playing with three characters with all these extra items that you have to assign to each character you can't pass them around it, it gets a little overwhelming or it felt a little overwhelming. But then once you understand them all, there's again, going to be, there's more flexibility in this game as far as the right move and the, and the less optimal move. So everybody can talk and suspect that Jaws is going to pop up in one place. But if one player feels differently and they're like, I think he's going to pop up over here and they put their target over there, they move their meeple towards that. It's not like a bad choice because Jaws could pop up at any of those places. So you do have a little bit of agency, a little bit of, of, of player agency in the second phase. So this is more of like a co-op feel. People will obviously have their strong opinions of what doesn't make sense for Jaws to pop up over there because X, Y, and Z. I think it's a bad move for you to go over there. Um, but, it, you know, because Jaws, there's a bit of a bluffing, Jaws can pop up anywhere. It wouldn't be the worst idea to have somebody do that. So it, it, uh, I think it gives a little bit back to the player to make them feel more in control of what they, what they do. Um, but again, you can be sort of quarterbacked and, and push into a corner on it, like, like with any co-op, but it just depends on your mindset going into it. So this game, when we played it, um, I think I, uh, I was Jaws. And I ultimately lost, but I had eaten Brody and Quint. No, I'd eaten Brody and Hooper. And I think Quint had like two hit points left. I'd almost destroyed the boat completely. And it was down to, I, I had used up all of my special abilities and all of the special items were used up for Quint. There was, I think Quint had a machete who was running around trying to chop my head off with a machete. 
and uh it was great and once all of our special stuff was exhausted it really was down to like a lot of bluffing and sort of rock paper scissors at the very very end which was still fun because it was somewhat exhausting it took a lot longer than we thought to play but we were engaged every turn so even though it took a long time for what felt like was supposed to be a simple game uh it was worth it because we got a lot out of it we got a lot of enjoyment there's a lot of thrills a lot of excitement with each one of the moves that you take so even though it went long it really did go to the very very end and it was a fun ride the whole way so i would highly recommend this game 23 bucks on sale at target uh i loved it i had a great time um i got caught as the shark so i I wasn't fully powered up and then ultimately uh i had a couple of bad turns where i just got beat senseless by by a machete and a hammer and a baseball bat (laughs) it's it's pretty vicious if you think about it that these people are running around this boat like attacking a shark with a machete it's just it's it's pretty visceral but uh anyway great game i will put this on the table anytime because both phases are light and uh it's just it's a it's a great way to, to to pass the time and because there's a lot of chance and a lot of luck a little bit of outsmarting each other it, it feels like uh, even if you lose, you don't feel like a dummy because you made bad choices. You just sort of, um, you know, I, I lost, whatever, I'll play again. There's just, there's so much chance involved. Um, it, uh, it all balances out and uh, you just feel like you had a good time no matter what. And of course, it tells a fun story. You know, it's pretty cool when, uh, you know, somebody gets knocked into the water and rather than jumping back up on the boat, they actually swim through the water to where they think the shark's going to be because they want to hit it with a machete. That's pretty gnarly. Anyway, Jaws, Raymond's Burger, 23 bucks. Buy it. It's fantastic. So given it's the uh, first day of the new year, I figured I'd talk about gaming resolutions and my gaming resolution for 2019. For no clear reason, I declared at the end of 2018 that I would buy no more than two games in 2019. It was, um, the reason I did it was frankly, I have too many games taking up space that I will never play, that I have not given proper attention to, and also just bad games games that when I did get them, I didn't enjoy them, but I sort of bought them as a knee jerk. So for years and years, I've just been sort of buying everything that was remotely interesting. And then I would obviously box it all up and try to sell it at Kubla, or not try to, I would auction it off at KublaCon every year. And by the way, KublaCon is uh, a yearly gaming convention in Burlingame, California, which is basically uh, San Francisco area. And we all go to that for a few days, uh, every year. So that's what KublaCon is in case anybody was wondering. And what I typically do is I take all of my stuff. I used to get a table and do a flea market table. Um, but I didn't like haggling or dealing with money. So now I just take everything and I put it in their auction. They have a very excellent auction, very excellent auction process. And I walk away and then I come back and I have a bunch of money and a bunch of shelf space. Uh, yes, I'm sometimes earning pennies on the dollar for what I've sold. But, uh, oh my God, it's so worth it to walk away with clear shelf. And it feels like I'm getting paid to clear my shelves out. Anyway, 
I was devoting too many of my games to that. So what my whole uh, two games in 2019 thing was about was to appreciate and what I was buying and be mindful about what I was buying. And I was listening to Jason over on Nerds RPG Variety Cast, and he did an unboxing episode, or I guess he does a lot of them. I'm still going through his backlog, but one of his unboxings was, hey, I got this box. It's this size, it's this shape. I don't know what's in it, but let's open it. And he opened it up, and it was some game, and he named the game, and he's like, well, I guess this is stuff that I ordered. Uh, I don't really know what it is, but I'm going to keep it in the shrink because I don't know if I'll ever play it, and I don't want to hurt the resale value. And I could identify with that. And I I don't want that anymore. Um, if I get a package, I want to know what it is and why it's coming. And then I want to open it and be like, oh, yeah, I, it came. Or I'm very excited instead of this like constant stream of <laughs> Kickstarters that I didn't remember or, you know, pledging or backing and that I regret backing. And so <laughs> I think the one of the biggest regrets that I have that got me to do this was the Joan of Arc Kickstarter. I went 100% in on that with the exception of the role-playing game and like a few add-ons. So I bought everything. And this is like hundreds and hundreds of dollars for this game that at its core is pretty cool and interesting. And I would probably have been satisfied if I would just gotten the main game. Um... But, you know, I got all the expansions because they kept tantalizing me with these amazing miniatures, 15 millimeter stuff. Like the buildings are awesome. The There's dragons. There's these crazy monsters. Like the, it's sort of like a cool minis or not sort of a thing where you just get so enticed by the models that you just want it. And for some reason, you think you'll be able to use the models for something else. And I probably could have. But I got this thing. Uh. I got the first wave and it was this giant box with like four giant boxes of games inside of it. And if I was doing Joan of Arc and if I loved it, that would have been great. But it was like a burden. As soon as I saw that box land on my doorstep, I felt like I was being burdened by this thing. Not to say it's a bad game. I played I played it a few times and it's, it's a fine game. Um, there's, you know, a lot of moving parts and... I just feel like there's other things I would rather be playing, but I have like a lifetime of material to play only Joan of Arc sitting in this box. And then later wave two arrives, which is the same amount of stuff. So I've just got tons of glorious miniatures in these game boxes, in a cardboard box, in my closet, just pouring out of the closet. And I'm never going to touch it. Like I'm never going to play that. I'm never going to take that and put it on the table and say, this is what I'm doing. And I'm not ever going to go deep into it where I'm like, I just know it. I'm that's not what I'm going to do. And I needed to like pump the brakes on myself. So this doesn't keep happening to me. So that was my declaration was two games in 2019. So during that time, um, I did fudge a little bit and uh, my wife caught me on one of my fudges, which I think was like, January 1st, <laughs> I think I bought Forbidden Lands, the RPG box set, uh, on probably like January 1st. And in my mind, I was justifying it by uh, saying, well, they're, they're books. I mean, it's a game, but they're books. So 
she saw something shipping from Amazon that was like Forbidden Lands game. Like, oh, well, I guess you used one of them. So really, I was buying one game in 2019 because I sort of got caught on my fudge on day one. So that being said, uh, throughout the year, the games that I was allowed, I actually got three because for my birthday, I got a, a, a freebie. So I was allowed to buy a game. I mean, I say allowed, like obviously we can do whatever we want, but to follow the the rules of this was I was allowed to buy a game for my birthday, which sort of was outside of the two game maximum. So what I did buy, I had to think about long and hard. And these were games that I really wanted and I either played and I really enjoyed or I knew I would enjoy. So I got Forbidden Lands, which honestly, I have not touched the entire year. It is still in the box, sitting on my shelf, staring at me. And, you know, there you go. I screwed up and that's exactly what I'm trying to prevent. So Forbidden Lands, untouched. I got Detective Stories, which was a Kickstarter, and it is a super fun, unique game that I'm glad is out there. Has some replayability, but there's a lot of stuff in it, and it's a really unique system, and maybe I'll talk about it later. But if you have Detective Stories or you know about it, then you know that it's a pretty impressive thing. It's by Van somebody games they did hostage negotiator the solo game i can't think of the uh, the company and i'm not very well prepared right now but uh it was a great kickstarter so there was a second kickstarter for the expansion so i went all in on that so i got the starter and uh i think one or two expansions that just have been uh put out this past year and so again that's it's multiple things but it's like one purchase one game purchase so that's how i'm justifying that so i got that I haven't received it yet, but but I felt really good about it. And the other game I got was Undaunted Normandy. And that's uh, a card. It's a deck builder with a board, World War II themed, and it's wonderful. And based on what I saw of the reviews and a playthrough, I knew that I would love this game. And I do. It's one of my favorite games right now. I will play it at any given time with anybody because I really enjoy the experience. And so that's what I'm looking for when I buy a game now is I want to know that I'm going to enjoy it. I want to know that that there's a reason I'm getting it and I'm not just buying it to sit on my shelf and I don't feel guilty or annoyed with all of this crap that keeps coming and showing up at my house. Now, uh, I did fudge a little bit uh, and I rationalized this and I shouldn't have and this needs to be made more clear if I decide to do this for 2020, but I fudged and I bought some other books. And uh, I said games, I'm buying two. So I bought supporting stuff for other games. So I bought some paints and I bought some, you know, some 15 millimeter World War II stuff for uh, Chain of Command. I bought the Chain of Command rule book. Um, I bought uh, Old School Essentials. I kickstarted Old School Essentials. But I knew that I would enjoy it. Like I knew what I was getting and I wanted that. So I have it. I don't know that I'll be using it. I'm sure I'll use it going forward, but it was books. And so again, I'm rationalizing this differently. It takes up a lot less shelf space. So there's a little wiggle room and I should probably, I mean, I could be a little bit more strict. Um, and like the try, I got the Trilam Adventures Kickstarter and it's just an 
amazing book. It's a cool book. So I wouldn't call it a game. I mean, it's four game systems, but it's just a great art book. Um, really fun to have. Best Left Buried, little digest size role playing game. Again, it's very small, very small footprint. Didn't cost a whole lot. So it's sort of, you know, you add up all these little what I fudged rules. And yeah, maybe we're getting, we're creeping up into the cost of a, you know, dumb Kickstarter that I would buy and stick on my shelf. So I'm, I'm still feeling like I got a little flexibility here. Um, so those were sorts of what I, what I purchased, but I also picked up Lovecraft letters, like I said, last episode, because I know my son and I will play that. So that's going to get use and jaws I purchased because it was a, you know, I was going to get use out of it as like the Christmas game to play. So I feel in, in spirit, I followed. Um, but as a side note in that chat that I have with all of my friends ongoing, they created, uh, the, like the, the game review board. So it was very, there was a lot of legalese talk about what I was doing and if it followed and if I needed to go up in front of the rules or the, the review board to see if I was in breach of contract and all that stuff. It was, it was a pretty fun, <laughs> pretty fun and pretty ridiculous sort of a, a side note that, that, that came from this decision of mine, but, uh, all in good fun. So while I was restricted to buying games, what <laughs> I didn't feel like I was because I still had this like endless backlog of Kickstarters coming. So games that I backed a year or two ago kept coming. So it felt like I was getting a game every month, even though I wasn't buying one. But it was also a reminder of all of my past mistakes. So, so I got like Cthulhu, Death May Die right? Which is a bunch of, you know, fun games, but I didn't, I almost like when I got the shipping notice, I didn't want it to come since I've got it. I've played it. And I really enjoy it. It's, it's a fun game. I'll talk about it later, but that was one that I just, I didn't want it. I didn't want the box. I don't want the giant shelf space to be taken up. Um, I got Nemo's war, which is a unique game. And I may have bought that as one of my two, just because I know it's interesting. And I know that I would like to spend time with it. I got Zombicide Invader, which is great. It's Zombicide in space. It's a fun system, but I have like, I don't know how many boxes of this crap now for Zombicide. And I've played three or four scenarios from the first box with none of the expansions. Am I ever going to get to those expansions? I don't know, honestly. So what am I going to do with that? Um, I got Lifeform that came through. Uh, I'd really like to try that one. And I got that wave two of Joan of Arc and, but just a bunch of other crap that I don't even remember, but I had ordered it and it just kept flowing through. So it was like I was buying games, but it was also a reminder of why I did this whole thing. Like you don't want this to be happening. You don't want these things to come through and just get them and throw them on a shelf because you don't have time or energy for them. So, um, what I learned about this whole thing <clears throat> is again, it might be tainted because I kept getting these Kickstarters throughout the year, but I just, I don't need to buy all the games that I've been buying. I, I just need to stop. I need to like focus on what I want, what I know I have capacity for, what's interesting to me, and then also get some life out of the stuff that I do have. So, you know, I don't need to keep being this cult of the new. Um, I don't suffer from that too much. Um, 10 or 15 years ago, I think I did where I was sort of buying every board game that came out and I was really into just doing whatever. I think board games have exploded and there's no, no way you can sort of do that, but I don't follow the cult of the new I like to, I, I, I want to chew 
everything that I have. I do see a lot of new games coming out that I'm excited about, but I don't need to buy them because I'm probably not going to play them and they're just going to take up space. So I definitely learned to take my time with my game purchases. And, you know, Chain of Command I got because a friend was interested in it and I sort of build off other people's interests. So it's hard for me to pitch a game for other people to get into for whatever reason, maybe because I've burned everyone in the past by saying, oh, let's do this. And then we move off of it. I don't know. But this guy isn't typically a war gamer, but he was really interested in it. So, of course, if he was interested, then I bought into it. And I love World War II. I've got a bunch of 15 millimeter World War II stuff. So I hitched my wagon to his interest. We got another one of our friends involved. So now it's sort of like there's an energy and I'm getting something out of my of, of what I'm putting into it. So I'm spending money on models, but I'm also talking about them and I'm, I have this momentum around it and it's ongoing and I get to paint and I get to, you know, build model kits. And so I'm, I'm enjoying it more than just buying a box and letting it sit and sit in the shrink on my shelf. So I'm definitely going to be more choosy. I was, I'm definitely more selective. Um, but overall it was an absolute, wonderful experience it felt weird um and i didn't know that i would be able to do it but i totally did it again yes i fudged yes i bought some books and if i do it again this year um maybe i'll set some (laughs) parameters so i don't feel guilty about you know sidestepping these rules that i put in place but um uh so for 2020 i don't know that i'm going to do it again I might see how I am in 2020 with what I learned from my 2019 resolution. I might just see if I can selectively purchase these things because I put in the time to think about them and I know I would play them and I know when I would play them. I just need to get something out of what I put into these things. So right now I don't have a 2020 gaming resolution. Um, I'm going to let that sit for a second. I still have a little bit of time. I can still think it through. But uh, based on all that, I wonder if anybody has any gaming resolutions. Usually it's like, I want to play more, or I want to do this more, or I want to finish my zine, or I want to enter this contest. But uh, I'm curious, what are your resolutions? Do you have anything you want to do differently in your gaming life? Um, I'm curious to hear, because uh, I did not expect last year to do what I did this year. So I'd be very interested to hear what you guys did or plan to do for 2020. All right, that wraps up the show. Thanks for listening. Um, Again, please leave me uh, messages and comments about uh, what you thought about the different pieces in the show. I really like having the conversation. I'm trying to engage with other anchor podcasters to uh, comment on their shows a lot more because I I really like hearing the back and forth. So uh, thank you, Jason and Rudy. I'm going to leave you a message real soon, Jason, and I've uh, messaged you a few times, Rudy, but uh, please, anybody, say anything. I, I, I really enjoy listening to other anchor podcasters call-in shows where they have conversations and it continues and uh, this sort of idea and this thread comes in and out from uh, between episodes and and whatnot. I really enjoy that. So leave me a message, please. Anchor.fm forward slash games with Eric. You can always go to Twitter at games with Eric. Again, there's nothing there, but if I start seeing something, I'll go engage over there a little bit more. Or you can email me at podcast at games with Eric.com. 
All right, until next time, uh, thank you very much, and we'll uh, catch up with you later. <laughs>